0: You must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Be afraid. Be very afraid.
1: I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, up. What's your favorite scary movie? You must first face your
0: fears if you are to conquer them. The only thing to fear is fear sex. Hello and welcome to Full Horror Show, the podcast where an animation nerd watches disturbing films while a movie buddy holds his hand. My name is Grant Letizia. And I'm Danny Clark. Here on Full Horror Show, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, especially when it comes to movies. Take horror films, for instance. People either love them or hate them, and that perspective often sticks for life. So you gotta wonder, can a non-scary movie person already set in their ways evolve into a true horror fan? Well, on this show, we're gonna find out. Each episode, Danny leads me through a classic horror or spook adjacent film, and we see what happens. The stakes are real. Either I'll become a braver person who actually can enjoy a scary movie, or I'll just give up and crawl back to my Disney safe space. Today on the show, this is going to be something interesting and a little bit different. This is the film Hereditary from director Ari Aster, and uh, it came out a few years ago, 2018, and... I saw it for the first time. I was not aware of it, other than the fact that maybe I sort of knew the title. You hadn't even heard of it? I feel like this movie was one of those movies that if you liked horror, maybe you were excited about it. But I completely missed the boat on it. First, what we'll do is talk about just some real basic stuff about the movie. Um, again, it was directed and written by Ari Aster, starring Tony Collette as the mom, Alex Wolfe as son Millie Shapiro as the daughter, and Dowd as the crazy lady, I call her, and Gabriel Byrne as dad. The budget was $10 million. It made $82 million at the box office, so was a really good hit. And Danny, since you were the one who especially was, I think, uh, excited about having me watch this, uh, the question I have is why would you say, at this point in time, Hereditary is a significant film.
1: A24 started back in 2012, and so they were already pretty well known. But I think this was around the time when they were really having their hit streak going. You know, this film came out, The Witch had come out, I think, before this. But they just had hit after hit, or at least horror film after horror film that I absolutely loved. So when I saw this trailer, and I saw that it was A24... You already sold me, even though I didn't know the director. And I think this was his first feature. I think he had done a few shorts before this. Very strong first film.
0: I think out of all the movies that we've watched so far, this is the one I knew the least about. Oh, okay. And what's sad about it is I think I got this movie confused with Insidious because I don't know why. They just seem like the title is kind of this... Is this word that just kind of seems ominous. So I guess hereditary and insidious. I kind of thought they were the same thing. Well, they
1: both take place in a house and they both have a child involved. I mean, that's pretty simple, but that could be the connection that you thought you saw. And the posters look a little bit similar. I mean, one's blue
0: and one's red. They both have images of the child on the cover. So I kind of assumed that this had a sequel. This doesn't have a sequel, does it? No sequel. No, Oh, that's funny. So I really was confused. I thought maybe this was actually a franchise <laughs> without spoiling anything. I don't really know how how we would have a sequel. I mean, there could be um, I'm not really sure where that would go. We should bring that back up in the spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think that's what's funny about this is. Again, when you said, oh, we should watch Hereditary, I had no no clue at all um, other than it seemed like it was a modern horror and I knew nothing about it. And maybe I was confusing it with another film. So, I mean, in general, uh, coming into it way, way blind, which I think is kind of exciting because I really didn't have a lot of qualms about watching it because I was like, I don't know anything. Unlike, let's say Hellraiser, for instance, I was aware of what that movie was, at least a little bit. And I was far more afraid of it, I think, whereas this one could have just been anything. It could have been the goofiest thing in the world or the scariest thing ever, but I really had no idea at all. Well, I
1: know we're going to get into this later, but did that make it more or less scary for you going in? Like, it sounds like you already had this preconceived notion of what uh, Hellraiser was going to be. And so you were a little bit afraid going into it. But with this movie, was were you afraid of it at all? Or are you just, you know, ready to
0: see what it was going to be? Because I knew this was a, a modern horror film, it seemed to me that this was probably going to have more jump scares, better special effects. That doesn't necessarily mean that I would dislike it more or be more afraid. But I also was thinking... Uh, It's probably just going to be generally unpleasant, but I really don't have any way of knowing. I still didn't have any real tension built up necessarily. Uh, And I guess it was sort of it was sort of nice because I couldn't put it off. (laughs) Uh, Whereas with other ones, it was like a little bit more of a build up. Remember how I said watching Hellraiser, I kind of felt like I was going to jump out of a plane or something and I had a bit more adrenaline going on this one. No, I just, I, I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just watch it. I'll just start it. It's going to be what it's going to be. And uh, we'll just kind of sort of take it from there. Well, and this movie is much more of a slow burn too. Like Hellraiser
1: kind of starts off right out the gate with just some intensity <laughs> and some craziness. In this movie, it takes a while to see exactly what's going to happen, how the plot is going to play out. I, I found a couple of really good quotes uh, from Ari Aster about the movie. Um, after the Toronto International Film Fest, uh, he did a Q&A and he was talking about how he was trying to make a family tragedy that warps into a nightmare. He wanted the film to feel evil as if it was in some way tied to the perspective of something's always on the periphery, that there's a sinister, like knowing quality to the movie. And you can feel that with the tone. And I think that's what's so effective about it. And I think that's what makes it scary. Uh, You're waiting for things to happen more than things are actually happening. And I also thought it was interesting that the original cut was three hours long and there was much more family drama. He was trying to make a family melodrama, but he added the horror elements to make it a a film that would get financed. He knew that the horror genre, by containing it in that, would bring an audience and make money for A24. And I think that's really
0: interesting. I mean, it seems smart. The thing I was going to ask you was, do you know... Um, of Ari Aster's like earlier short films. Were those also spooky? Is he a spooky guy? They
1: talked about it in the TIFF Q&A. And all I know is the film before this was really fucked up. (laughs) And I don't know that much about it um, other than that. Um, I do think it's interesting that A24 decided to sign him on having read the script and only seeing the short film. I always think that's interesting when a director has made a short and is now given financing $10 million to make a feature. That's incredible. That's like the dream. Um, I also, after having seen Barbie (laughs) this last week, not to go on too much of a tangent, one thing I really loved about Barbie is that she, she shot it on a soundstage and there was so much incredible production design that went into that film, building the sets, making it look like a dollhouse. I think there's a very strong similarity here, although totally different genres and totally different types of films. Similarly, he shot this on a soundstage. They went to a lot of locations trying to find the right house. And ultimately, they ended up building the interior of the house based on the models that the miniaturist had made for them. So he talked to this guy, what was his name, Steve Newburn, who was the person responsible for creating those set pieces, the models and miniatures. He had talked to the production designer and the miniaturist for weeks leading up to the uh, before they started shooting the film to get the look of the house right and to get the scale of all the miniatures. And there's so much craftsmanship that goes into that part of the film. And for people who haven't seen it, one thing I really love is Tony Collette's character is a miniaturist. She's making all of these models of the house, of her life, of very intimate moments in the family. Um, dramatic moments within the family, some really disturbing moments within the family. And it, and it kind of spirals just like the film does, just like their relationships do. But I really like the old school method of shooting on a soundstage on something that was handcrafted and being able to move walls and move things around um, in order to get the shots right. And so I want to give two more quotes from, from Astor about this. Uh, he said, the opening scene of Hereditary required a trick shot. In which we pan away from the window and land on the miniature house with the front wall removed a pan towards a wide shot of the bedroom is our cue to the audience that there's a real boy sleeping in that room and it creates 30 to 40 seconds of lead time for gabriel Byrne to enter to achieve this they shot with tracking marks all along the wall of the miniature in peter's bedroom and then shot a separate static shot of the life-size room and they place stickers on the walls of both bedrooms which helped the artists match the images in post-production. So some really interesting tracking and some really interesting compositing to make that one shot work. And he went on to say, Hereditary contains other shots with removed life-size walls, which were shot at great height in order to get as wide of an angle as possible to dwarf the actors. This is part of the film's aesthetic to make the characters look and feel like dolls in a dollhouse. Building the house on a set gave us this huge practical benefit of pulling back further than you could in an actual location with immovable walls. With all that being said, I just think that that makes the craft of this film, the filmmaking itself, I mean, this is probably the fourth time I've watched it and I hadn't noticed the interiors as much on previous viewings because there's so much anticipation and inevitability about the story and what's going to happen to these characters. But this time I was watching in all the corners to look for little, those little nuggets to know more about what the movie is actually about, because it is a very layered film. There is a lot there that you need to unpack, which we will when, you, when we get into spoilers. But things are written on the walls. There's little glimpses of light that like flicker through the room or land on something to draw your eye to it. And for some of the jump scares, you know, they're... There are people or things in the corners, (laughs) in the liminal spaces of the room. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting take on some of the craftsmanship
0: involved. Yeah, that is interesting. There was actually, uh, I take it back, something I did sort of know about this movie prior to seeing it this time. But I actually, I think, again, I got it muddled and I wasn't really sure what movie this was. But I remember when this happened back in 2018, because there was... It was fairly well reported in the news when this occurred, and I wanted to see if you remembered it as well. Um, several news outlets talked about this. The, it was the fact that the trailer, which is really great, and you you mentioned it earlier, was a was one that you really liked. The trailer played before the family uh, movie, uh, Peter Rabbit. I guess in an Australian movie theater. Did you did you hear about this? Oh no way! And <laughs> did they do that on purpose? No, it was allegedly a mistake. Uh, I guess, as a parent, that's sort of the nightmare scenario that you don't want to have happen when you go to the theater, when you got your little kiddo there all happy, ready to watch Peter Rabbit, and then they <laughs> play the trailer for this movie. <laughs> it's a
1: pretty haunting trailer. I mean, I, speaking of the trailer, dude, I've actually stopped watching trailers because uh, most recently the film Talked to Me, I wanted to go see, and I went in without watching the trailer. Same thing with Barbarian, same thing with Babadook. A lot of these horror movies I feel like show too much but back when we were working together and I had my color suite, um, I would watch these trailers and bring people in just like I did for Mandy. And this was such an effective trailer. I can't believe A24 did such a good job selling it without giving away the film because there is, there are a lot of spoilers in it that we could talk about that could ruin it. And I think you have to be careful how you craft the trailer. And it's not that it, misled me but i did think the film was something different when i saw the trailer versus what i actually experienced so it was effective for that reason i love trailers that kind of like throw you
0: or make you think it might be something different love trailers that do that that find a way to not make it seem obvious what the movie is or where the main story parts are because i agree it's probably for any genre the worst thing i would think when you see a trailer and it Gives away what feels like the entire plot of the movie and also like key scenes or really important bits of who dies in it or something
1: like that. But when it comes to horror specifically and kind of with comedy for me as well, I don't want to ruin any of the any of the good bits, you know. and with with the genre movie, I found myself watching less and less trailers. but Going back to Peter Rabbit, I couldn't imagine my daughter being with me seeing a movie and then this trailer popping up. (laughs) They they showed too many trailers before movies anyway. And like we went to see Super Mario Brothers and they showed Transformers and she couldn't handle it. We had to walk
0: out. So um, showing an R-rated movie like this would totally fuck her up for sure. I think that about covers it I think at this point for uh, the discussion that we can safely give uh, with uh, Hereditary without giving away a lot of stuff. So what we're going to do is take a quick break and then when we come back we are going to talk more about it specifically what we liked what we didn't like what really really scared me and then i'm sure danny you'll enlighten me on why exactly this is a fun thing to do on the regular because i don't know i'm not convinced yet (laughs) okay Welcome back to Full Horror Show. We are talking about the 2018 movie Hereditary from director Ari Aster and discussing uh, in this half of the episode a few more finer points about the movie now that um, we can go all the way. And before we do that, I'm going to play this spoiler clip so that you know that everything for the movie Hereditary is going to be spoiled. If you haven't seen it yet, you have been warned. Listen to me very carefully. Look out! The spoilers are coming. If you see the spoiler and it tells you what the movie is before you watch the movie, everything will be ruined. The spoilers are there. Get down! Get down! Get your last? Jamie. Okay, so we're back. We can. Talk freely about hereditary. Let me just give the plot summary from IMDb. It's really not much. I think that they this is probably the most sparse plot summary, Danny, I've ever seen. (laughs) It says a grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. That could be that could be anything.
1: (laughs) I think it has to be like that, though,
0: dude, because if we're going to talk about this movie and we're going to spoil it,
1: I don't think you can talk about it. Too much without spoiling it like that's what I was saying about the trailer and how hard it was to make I'm sure Um, I'm just gonna go out there and say it like when when the daughter dies I had no fucking idea that was going to happen that rocked me like that fucked me up I mean it was crazy how that went down the mom insists that the daughter goes with the son to a party and they know she has this peanut allergy because every time she's eating chocolate, and she eats a lot of chocolate in this movie, the dad keeps coming up to her saying, does that have nuts in it? Does that have nuts in it? We don't have the EpiPen, we don't have the EpiPen. So you know they're foreshadowing something's gonna happen. And then you see them making this cake and you think to yourself like, don't eat the fucking cake. Why are you gonna eat the cake? Don't eat the cake. And of course the son is like smoking weed in another room with all the girls and hanging out and she eats the fucking cake and she can't breathe. And that scene is so intense when she's in the car and she's freaking out in the back seat and he's trying to get her to a hospital and think of yourself in high school. If your sister or your sibling was experiencing this and you're just driving down the highway high as shit, trying to get her to a fucking hospital and she leans her head out the fucking window and boom, a fucking telephone pole takes her goddamn head off. That fucked me up so bad. I don't know, man. I want to know what you think about this, but before I ask, there's another quote from Astor where he says, I wanted to make a film about grief and trauma. And there's a trend in domestic dramas where there's a loss and in the end, everything's okay. There's nothing wrong with an ending like that, an ending noting on ending on hopeless hopefulness, but not everyone's okay after. Some people are taken down and I wanted to make a film about that. <laughs> and so he was talking about the horror genre and how it's this filter through which you can push material that's maybe otherwise too bleak or too upsetting. And there's demands that you have to meet. So you have to find this catharsis in the story. And that becomes therapeutic and becomes fun. Considering the perspective of this, he talks about how we're with this family. But as they're suffering (laughs) in the movie, we're smiling as the audience. Now, I don't know if I was smiling the first time I saw it. I was not grinning ear to ear like I did with Mandy. So I want to know what you thought. Did this movie fuck you up? Did it scare you? Uh, What did you think?
0: Uh, It made me sad. It is sad. As a parent of a child who actually does have like a nut allergy that is by far my greatest fear unfolding right there and i guess early on the biggest feeling i had was i don't know if i'm ready for this man (laughs) i was thinking about bailing because i was like this is very serious and then the daughter gets her head knocked off it seems so unnecessary and so wild and out there, I was like, there's all sorts of ways that you could have um, showed this little girl, I guess, getting off. But why in the world was it this way in particular, like that crazy shot where that just like shows are just like heads sitting on the road? That was a lot. there was a lot with heads. I, what in the world's going on with the heads? as we'll get to Ugh.
1: anyway, I mean the very f- the first one was the the bird hitting the window and she cuts the head off with the scissors and then makes a toy with it. She like puts a crown on top of it, which I think is foreshadowing what happens what in the end, hail payment <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway we'll, we'll get to the heads in a minute. continue.
0: Oh, I mean, that's kind of it. I mean it made me sad, and then I was like, I don't know how long this is going to go on, but I don't really know if I enjoy this very much. I used to think miniatures were cool, though. (laughs) Well, how
1: was your fear management during this movie? So was it just was it just sad and heavy at first? And then it was wild when this happened. How did you feel in the second half of the film? And particularly when things went haywire in the third act?
0: So kind of based off what you said earlier, I mean, I didn't actually have a lot of pent up anxiety about the movie because I just hadn't I didn't know anything about it so for me I really just was like I'll, I'll sit down and do it I guess um, I did watch it in the daytime as before but you know it's interesting because it was very serious and it was sad and then once you got past the death of the daughter and there was some some serious grief and sadness going on and the mom meets the the lady from her support group and stuff like that and then it goes to seanceville I'm not exactly sure when it was. Maybe it was when um, Tony Collette is like doing the seance with the lady. And then she starts like feeling the ghost around her and the spirit around her and stuff. Her hair kind of gets like blown. It's like poof. When that happened, I like laughed out loud. And I don't know why, because it wasn't funny. But for some reason, I guess maybe it was because I was like just so wound up. It just happened. And I giggled about it. And I kind of continued to giggle about some things. <laughs> it kept happening. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, let's go back. Uh. Let's go back to the seance for a minute. Okay. So, first of all, Ann Dowd, she is fucking amazing in everything she's in. I love her in Handmaid's Tale. The first time I ever saw her was Compliance in 2012, also at the Birmingham Film Festival. She just is an enigma. She's got this creepy vibe, and she's always the one that's just there. And she's so intense. And she's trying to pull you in, and you know you can't trust her, but they go there anyway. And when she does that seance, I'm with you. Like, I think there are some laughable parts of this film, and we'll get to the ending in a, in a little bit. And I don't think it's campy. It's borderline camp in my mind because it makes me laugh at times, but I don't know why that is. Like, maybe it is nervous energy and nervous laughter, but I just think there are some elements of this film that are funny. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and say the other one. At the end of the film, <laughs> the headless body floats up to the treehouse. That shot makes me laugh every single time I oh, see it.
0: Oh, that's good. Cause that made me laugh too. With the music, it makes me laugh every single <laughs> it is time. It's like.
1: Uh... The events leading up to that and the events after that do not make me laugh. So there's this, there's just little elements that, that happen. I, I did the same thing in midsummer. I think it has to be intentional. Um, some people consider this film to be one of the top 10 scariest films of all time. I do not think it's that scary. I think it's an excellent film for different reasons, not because of how scary it is. There are moments that are full horror show when she thinks that throwing the book into the fire is going to light her on fire. She's basically trying to self-immolate in that moment, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. But instead, it lights Gabriel Byrne on fire. That is a terrifying moment of the film. Wait, why did that happen? That was so confusing. It was confusing. What was
0: she just... She just saw that it lit her on fire. And then I was like, other than the shock of it, I was I was kind of confused because I was like, but how is he connected to all this? Don't crisp him. Oh, now he's just like a barbecue. Well, everyone dies. I mean, basically, that's what happens.
1: So it seems like the grandmother set things into motion that allowed all of these people to give payment a vessel to come to life. I'm sure there's people out there who have a better handle on what all of this means. I just like to let it wash over me. It makes me think of paganism. It makes me think of folklore. It makes me think of folk horror. And if I had to put this into a subgenre of horror, it would be folk horror. It would also be a family melodrama about grief and loss and pain and trauma and everything else we've discussed. And I think our previous discussions about our own loss and about the way we reacted to Mandy, I definitely felt some of that. Like you said, it's so sad in the beginning of the film. I mean, the grandmother dies, the daughter dies, everyone fucking dies. It is a very sad film.
0: Well, I thought it was also going to go a different direction, too, with some of that. So let's see, grandma dies and then the daughter seems a little disturbed. I was thinking that grandma's going to come back and haunt everybody. And then she shows up as a ghost in the corner there for a second. So I was like, that's all this movie is. It's going to be Grammy coming back. She's not happy with her daughter and what she's doing. She's just going to or she'll possess the little girl like the the little girl will start talking with grandma's voice and stuff like that. But that didn't really even happen either. So I guess that sort of threw me off. Like I was thinking one of those things was going to occur. There's some weird supernatural bits in this movie. I guess you could say it's
1: a ghost and not necessarily supernatural, but when Tony Collette first wants to show Gabriel Byrne and Alex Wolf, the son, what she's discovered with the seance and she brings them to the table and they put the glass down on the table and it starts to move and they all start to freak out. First of all, why the fuck would you bring your kid into that situation? Why would you want your kid to be there?
0: Well, the lady said that all the members of the family had to be there. There you go. I missed that. I would have thought the same thing. I'd be like, there's no way. It also, I think,
1: shows the selfishness and narcissism of Tony Collette's character and how she treats her son because she's awful to him. For some reason, she treats him like shit. She loves her daughter, but she hates her son, it seems. There's a scene when he's laying in bed and she admits to him that she didn't want to have him. And then she covers her mouth real quick. And then I'm going to read this quote because I read it to you before we started. And you thought I'd memorized it, but I hadn't. When she says to the boy at dinner, don't you swear at me, you little shit. Don't you ever raise your voice at me. I'm your mother. You understand? All I do is worry and slave and defend you. And all I get back is that fucking face on your face. So full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed. Well, now your sister is dead. And I know you miss her. And I know it was an accident. And I know you're in pain. And I wish I could take that away for you. I wish I could shield you from the knowledge that you did what you did. But your sister is dead. She's gone forever. And what a waste. If it could have maybe brought us together or something... If you could have just said, I'm sorry, or faced up to what happened, maybe then we could do something with this. But you can't take responsibility for anything. So now I can't accept and I can't forgive because nobody admits anything they've done. I mean, she's just putting it all on him. And of course he did it. He made a mistake, but he's a fucking kid. And it's her kid. And I just think that it's so representative of this awful relationship between the two of them, which is probably because of the awful relationship she had with her mother and probably her mother and it's this you know generational trauma that is hereditary (laughs) that is what
0: the movie is about really I want to talk about Toni Collette's awesome performance because that was what stood out to me man she does such an incredible job she's really convincing she was unhinged she was
1: unbelievable in this movie I loved her performance and it's funny uh, I'm just reading quotes tonight but uh Ari Aster said he wanted Someone to give a kamikaze performance and really go off the deep end and she fucking brought it right. I mean, she's she's unbelievable. That whole third act from the moment that she performs the seance with the two of them to when she starts freaking out about the book and trying to burn it and burns herself. And asks Gabriel Byrne to come and then lights him on fire. And then she's crawling on the fucking rafters. She's up in the corner of the room. She's like coming after the boy. Now she's the bad guy. (laughs) It's a great turn.
0: The other shot that made me laugh out loud was when he's being spooked out and sitting there. And then you see her just like swim across the wall in her white clothes. I died laughing at that, dude. (laughs) I don't know why it struck me as being so funny again. It was funny. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Anyways, it's like, I don't know if I'm just like building a wall to make it so that I can finish these movies or what. Psychologically, Um I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Honestly, that's what
1: I think is so enjoyable and so much fun about horror is at times it does make you laugh. And even if that has a nervous laughter or it's legitimately funny, I don't think it matters. And what might be scary to one person might be funny to another. And when I go see horror movies with a group or I see it with one particular friend who will remain unnamed, he listens to this podcast. um, He and I will stand up and cheer at times because of the things we're seeing on screen while other people will run out, run out disgusted and, I just think everyone has a different reaction, you know, and there's also this trend with newer horror movies like the conjuring and insidious and the nun and Annabelle, where it is about jump scares. It is about things in the corners and things do move in that way. Um, I don't find that stuff that scary. So I'm I'm glad to know that we're on kind of the same page. I think our horror vibe is, is equal.
0: Uh, Recently, I will say since actually post viewing Mandy, which is, uh interesting uh it's been a bit of a struggle bus on my end i'm not sure if it was just how you know intense mandy was and combination of some other things or maybe it's the cumulative effect of all these movies but i do have to say uh i've had an incident occur danny oh no i was uh in the bathroom and i was just like trimming the hair on my face and uh Basically, I finished like half of it, and I was kind of looking down at the sink, and all of a sudden, I just heard like a a whoop, and I thought it was either my wife or my daughter who had maybe come home because they weren't there yet, and I figured they were going to be behind me. It made me jump, so I basically was like, Jesus Christ, (laughs) and turned around, and I thought like 100% it was going to be my family there, but it wasn't. There was no one there. So then I got like all wigged out because I was like, I don't know what made that noise. And there's probably someone else in the house. (laughs) All of a sudden I got this like tingly feeling that that stuff wasn't good. So I started just like standing really still and waiting to see if something was going to happen. And I started kind of like looking around the corners. I've never been spooked out in the house yet. This is the first time this has happened. Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe in ghosts? No, not generally, no. But not like, generally, but if do I you? Hear, No, no, oh, no, no I but hear, sometimes, <laughs> do, sometimes do you? It sounds like if maybe, I hear a whoop and nobody was there to make a whoop. No, I know. People get frightened for all kinds of strange reasons. There's sure. a whoop ghost in my house, is what I've decided this is. A whoop and ghost. it whoops. <laughs> it whoops and that's it. I, I mean it's not that scary, but it's frightened me. Maybe now maybe I like what I try to do is I try to think about like what a logic it logically could have been. Maybe there was someone on the street who was whooping randomly. I don't know. Is that going to affect you moving
1: forward (laughs) watching these films or, uh,
0: you know, cause I, we talked
1: about this separately. We had a little sidebar for all of our listeners where I was checking in on Grant, making sure things are cool. And, He did admit and I'll admit it too. like I had to watch some light movies. Like after I saw Barbie, I watched The Umbrellas of Cherbourg and I watched uh, Singing in the Rain after watching Babylon. So I've been going down these random rabbit holes like I always do because I'm a movie buff. So I watch everything. Um, I had to step away from horror for a hot minute um, as well because like it does fuck your head up. You have a palate cleanser. Yeah, it's a palate cleanser for sure. For sure. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: Oh, no. I mean, I probably need to do that more. But. Yeah, because I feel like it's building up something in me and I don't know if it's good or bad because the the funny part was, like I said, when I was sitting down to watch this, I, I almost was like, I got to bail. I don't know. I don't know if I can do this right now. I might have to just quit if this keeps being as serious as like the first half. But then when that seance hit and then I started laughing at it, I don't know. It sort of changed when it comes to the ending. Then I feel like. Is this supposed to be kind of a twist ending in your mind when you see it? Do you look at this and go, oh, that's unexpected. He's like the king now. I think that he's supposed to be payment.
1: I think that they are now worshiping him. That's why they're saying hail payment. Or they did this to him. They did this to this family and set it up so that they could pay tribute to payment. Maybe he's not payment. Maybe they're just saying hail payment because they're trying to worship payment in the moment of making him the king as it were. And I think it's subversive because just like other movies that I won't mention that I don't want to ruin, but anything satanic, um, there's definitely elements of that here. And I think that that's scary to a lot of people.
0: I don't know, I have to say, I feel like the ending to this movie, I don't know what I expected, but I kind of feel like it was trying to be very clever I don't know how I feel about it. You think it was dumb? I guess I just don't know sometimes. Like, I think it's because I haven't seen enough scary movies maybe to understand what you're saying is like subversive about it. What's different. But I guess this is what I was kind of feeling as I watched the ending was everybody's doomed. They're all going to die. Dad's going to die. Mom's going to clearly die. No one's going to survive this. They killed the, the, you know, innocent little daughter in the beginning. So clearly nobody's, you know, safe. I guess I didn't really feel like there was much tension in this movie because I felt like everybody was just going to end up dying anyways. Uh, and then when it sort of, I guess, flips it, a, flips it a little bit and it's like it was a success and he's kind of like, oh, you're, yeah, you're the, you're the demon guy. You've been resurrected. Cool. I guess I just didn't really know what to do with that other than just say, oh, okay. I guess we were sort of kept in the dark the whole time and that's fine. I guess I just didn't really feel like it was very satisfying personally. And maybe it's because I didn't see the signs or the clues that you're alluding that everybody, you know, is mining and looking for afterwards. But I guess on the first watch, all I kind of got was the bad things happened to the family. And then he's, I guess, surprised that he's been elevated to this place. And that's cool. But I sort of feel like it's a little bit on. I don't know, a little bit unfair to the audience, just a tad because it's like, haha, see what I did there? He's really this is all really part of the plan <laughs> kind of thing. I mean, dude, in, in all three interviews with Ari Aster that I
1: watched, it he said that he wishes there was a cut out there of the full three hours. Now, he also says that he thinks this works better commercially. It works better as a film. And so I think he's trying that he was probably told to edit it this way, or maybe it was just too long. I don't know, but I do want to see that three hour version because I think there's probably more connective tissue with the family there that would help. And I think ultimately it's a movie about suffering and what he said earlier, that quote that I mentioned where he wants, he wants to show how not everyone is okay after loss. Some people are taken down. That's what he said. He wanted to make a film about that. Well, they all fucking die. Yeah yeah, I just think it's more metaphorical than it is supposed to be literal. So the ending isn't supposed to be taken as such. And I call it subversive because the nuclear family, the family dynamic should be that you remain intact and you, you come together and there is optimism and there is hope after a death. Um, I mean, after the death of my mother, uh, my, my father and my sister and I all hugged each other that night and came together in that moment to try to find some solace to try to make each other feel better. Over the years, we've had our ups and downs, but that moment defined us and it still does. And it never goes away. And I think that a movie like this represents some of those feelings. And I think it's more of a feeling than it is a plot that's supposed to necessarily make sense. At least that's why I mentioned earlier that a film like this, I kind of let it wash over me the first time. And then every time I watch it, I do think this movie gets better with each viewing. And I think that for people who are just as confused as we were, I would watch it again and keep looking for those things and look up, not necessarily like video breakdowns if you want to do that, do that, but look up what he means by pandemonium and some of these words that he uses and what who payment really is because I didn't research payment because I I wanted to talk to you about it and get your thoughts about it fresh without doing that.
0: Yeah, I I really kind of feel like the thoughts that I have are. Definitely not very deep. I think maybe it's just because the first half seemed really, really strong in that there was a lot of feeling and a lot of emotion with what happened to the family. But then I feel like, at least for me, speaking personally, there was a disconnect when everything started going spooky movie time. And while that was, I think, more entertaining in some ways, and I was actually willing, I guess, to do that. I just don't know... uh, I don't know how I feel about how those two things going together. You know what I mean? Well, let me ask you this then. Do you think that this would have been better as just a family melodrama
1: um, without the horror? Because he mentioned how he used that as a filter to make it more commercial. And obviously, if it was made for $10 million and it made 80, it was a commercial success. So I think with horror fans and with A24 fans, this movie has gained cult-like status. And for good reason, because it does hit those notes that like people expect when they watch horror and when they watch movies like this. Mm -hmm. If this were just a family melodrama, I don't know that it would have done that. It wouldn't have been as nearly as much of a commercial success. But do you think you would have liked it more? Do you think it would have
0: like what would have been like for you if it had been more like that? I mean, it's a good question, obviously. But there's only half of it that would have been there. You know, you would have wanted to see what happens to the rest of the with the rest of the runtime to the family. But it does it is a very interesting question because it makes me think about a good person would be maybe a good comparison to be in the bedroom or something like a very serious uh, adult drama about uh, family and loss and violence and some of those things. I mean, it it could it could be very interesting, but. And you know, as you said, he did it for good reasons. You know, he wanted it to have some of that commercial appeal. So, you know, I would definitely respect that. It's just one of those things where I think it's just me. You know, I'm not saying that this is a uh, representative of the movie's quality at all in any way. I just think possibly because I don't still jive with horror movies. And I think I still say that even after watching all of these, it just feels as if I don't. I don't really get the appeal of these (laughs) still. Well, this one is
1: definitely very bleak. So like, I I get it. It's, it's a downer for sure.
0: Yeah. It's a downer. And then it, it just goes kind of off the rails and it makes me feel like they don't connect. How does this rank with Midsommar for you? Well, the other thing about that was because I saw Midsommar first and that was done after this. I feel like that film probably was something that felt much more complete to me. I need to rewatch it again to make sure. Um, but I can remember some of the discussions we had about that and I don't feel like it was the same, at least in terms of, from what I can recall about the story and, and other stuff and the characters and, and it had a lot of the same bleakness as I recall, and a lot of the same kind of violence and other things that were kind of in your face and some of the ridiculousness and some of the, the moments that you would laugh at. I think there's some similarities for sure. I do think that I, if I had to pick though, I would say Midsommar is probably stronger than this one, at least again, for me. I think Midsommar is more fun.
1: I mean, it it, it has the bleakness. It, it it definitely is dark and violent, and it's sad too. But I think that it's funnier. I think that it it's 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 horror in uh, daylight. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're very very uh, uh, contrasting films for that reason. But I think you're right about some of the similarities. Like if you think about visual metaphors, I think that there's a lot of artwork in Midsommar inside those buildings that they sleep in, um, where you see like foreshadowing of events that will may occur where in this film you see the miniatures. I think the miniatures act like the house where the artwork act like some of the events that take place in Midsommar. Um, but I do also think like the, the paganism, um, some of the rituals that they have in Midsommar are very similar to hereditary, um, probably even some similar generational trauma, which we'd have to dive into in Midsommar discussions. Um. I like them both a lot. And I think that for me, I personally think Hereditary is the stronger of the two, but I like Midsummer more. And I would rewatch Midsummer before I rewatch Hereditary. Although now this is my fourth time having seen Hereditary. Tonight before we talked, I found myself sitting on my phone rewatching the first 20 minutes of this movie because I love the tone and the atmosphere that he creates, the mood he creates in the beginning of the film. This room tone starts this ambient sound this whoa 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 and it it continues it is i don't know if you picked up on the sound design but it is relentless that sound just keeps going and there's it sounds like creaking doors at times it's like you know i
0: love the score i love the sound design and i think it fits this film so well i guess what i'm trying to put my own finger on is I'm I guess I'm struggling with the ending to horror movies in general. It's I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to really call out this one because I feel like this movie is a really good movie for someone else. (laughs) (laughs) And I really am impressed with Ari Aster. And I think it's so cool. It's a search movie and all these things. And I think it's really well shot and all the (laughs) kind of the usual I appreciate very much all the the artistry going into all of it from everyone involved so as usual I feel like I have to kind of say that and tip my hat but I also feel like as as someone who doesn't watch scary movies I'm wondering what is supposed to motivate me to watch till the end because I'm already assuming everybody's done and I guess for you you're you're at a different level where you're like oh I know I'm gonna watch it for the the clue finding or I'm trying to figure out why it's all happening and stuff like that. But I guess for me, the, I'm viewing it through the lens of, but the personal connection I have with the people in this movie doesn't matter anymore because they're all going to die. So how am I supposed to be emotionally invested in it? I guess is the some somewhat of what my brain is doing right now is trying to think about that sort of thing, which is weird because I, you know, I, it's not fair to say that for all of scary movies as a whole, but I do feel like at some level there's that, that, The general idea that in this in the spooky movies, the slasher movies, the movies where everybody, you know, is going to more or less come to a bad ending. That's what happens. And I guess I'm I'm sort of like figuring out a little bit like how much I enjoy the endings or do I feel like my my tension is going to drop off? especially if I'm laughing at it. Not because it deserves it to be clear, probably because I'm so nervous I have to do something. So I think there's a
1: distinction, though, between like 80s horror, even 90s horror, and modern horror. And what's been happening with A24 and some of the directors that they've been working with, I think that they have more of an auteur vision. I think that they have more of a a stamp on these films. And I think that some of the similarities we talked about between Hereditary and, and Midsommar, and there's an incredible craft involved in the creation of both films and i think that modern horror doesn't have to be jump scares doesn't have to be slasher or gore even it can be a family drama that's packaged as a horror film um but like in the 80s it was popcorn fodder in the 80s it was let's get butts in the seats let's kill a bunch of people on screen and just come up with the most exciting deaths possible and basically just make a statement that all of these kids are having sex and doing drugs and they're going to (laughs) die. And so there's all of, there's these franchises built on that and the stories are so simple and there's not much to them. I still love them, but I think when I watch horror, I'm taking all of those years of those types of movies. And then you have something like scream that comes out that completely subverts the genre and changes it, which I have not seen. And we're going to tips it on its head. And then you fast forward to today where You have these movies that I think have more intellectual stories going on. There's more layers to them that you can unpack. I think that's what people mean when they call it elevated horror. I I said before, I don't really love that term, but I do think that's what people mean. And I think A24 is doing a great job with it. I mean, they're financing some incredible directors. I mean, we haven't even gotten into like the Korean horror films, some of the stuff Ben Wheatley was doing. I could go on. I mean, there's just, I think horror today is doing things with story and with characters and with the style that is so different than before. And so I'm excited for you to keep watching.
0: I don't know if you are. <laughs> <laughs> the jury is out as to whether I will keep watching. I mean, if I keep having the whoop ghost visit me, I don't know if I will. But, you know, assuming that was just a one-off, that was a fluke. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you were trying to ask me the other day, and I said, well, let's discuss it here. Uh, you were trying to ask me what horror movies I do actually want to watch. Yeah. What do you want to watch? I think that based off what I've seen so far, I would I feel like I kind of want to watch uh, Friday the 13th. OK, because I feel like some camp and some some silliness maybe would be the way to go. I don't know. But I guess I just for the for the first time, I, I feel like. I could probably take something silly like, I don't know, a Freddy, I think, or something. <laughs> I'm saying that and then I'm having doubts immediately. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's just it's crossed my mind. It was like, well, if I had to pick, I mean, I kind of liked watching, even though the Evil Dead was was tense at times because I had some suspense. It was still I I liked it made me smile a lot more than some of these other ones. And some of the campy stuff, maybe maybe that's where I like to to hang out, you know, I get it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, to be fair, exorcist was probably pretty scary for you. Hellraiser.
1: Um, but this one, was it that scary for you or did it just, like you said, it made you sad and it was bleak.
0: It made me sad and it was bleak. And then it, and then I flipped a switch. Then I laughed the rest of the time. Okay. So was this full horror show for you? Yeah, I think it was, especially because some of the imagery was just so, uh, so disturbing and out there. But at the same time, it was just kind of of a different level, I guess. I don't know how exactly how to describe it. Well, I'm glad you checked it out and uh, I'll have to find something else to scare the shit out
1: of you. (laughs) Oh, man.
0: (laughs) I don't like it when you use that tone. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it is uh, hereditary. Bad things happen over and over and over again, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) To the the poor people in that family and uh, hopefully just not to me in my bathroom while I'm shaving. Uh, but Full Horror Show is produced and edited by me, Grant Letizia. We're on Instagram. You can follow us there. You can also visit us at FullHorrorShow.com. If you have a thought, you can send us an email at show at gmail.com. Finally, look, we need your help. Listeners, if you can hear the sultry sound of my voice, If you enjoyed this in any way, we have a mission for you. Why not write a review or leave a rating or something? Every reviewer rating really helps get the show out there to more people, and we really appreciate it. So until next time, stay spooky, my friends.